if your employer came to you and said, right, you're only working four days from now on and for the same pay. I assume if you're a full-time worker, you'd jump at the chance. I certainly would. But uh, seriously now, this isn't a joke. And according to the findings of a new landmark pilot project, this is something that could both improve our quality of life and help the environment. My name is Neil King. And in this episode of On the Green Fence, I'll be taking a closer look at the potential benefits and pitfalls of a four-day work week with equal pay. I do see it growing. Momentum is increasing. We're long overdue. I mean, it's basically 100 years of the five-day week schedule with tremendous productivity growth since then. That's Juliet Shaw, a professor and economist in the Boston College Sociology Department. She was the lead researcher in a six-month trial of the four-day work week that was completed recently in the United Kingdom. It's the largest and most comprehensive pilot project of its kind to date and was organised by the non-profit group Four Day Week Global and was done in collaboration with the think tank Autonomy and researchers from Boston College and the University of Cambridge. So for a six-month period, starting in June 2022, 61 UK companies reduced their employers' working hours by 20% without cutting their pay. And some of the results are quite surprising. Time to hear from Juliet now what the outcome was and what this could mean for workers around the globe and the environment. From the employee side, I mean, that's the sort of more expected side. We had phenomenal results in terms of improvements in well-being. So reduced stress, burnout, better mental health, better physical health more positive emotions, fewer negative emotions, less anxiety, more exercise, less fatigue, better sleep, big improvements in life satisfaction, job satisfaction, time satisfaction. Satisfaction was pretty much everything in life. A lot less conflict between work and family. And I could go on, but you get the general impression. Employees are much, much better off. Now on the employer side, what we find is a good number of those companies reported productivity increases, which is pretty interesting that people are not just doing as much in four days as they were in five, which is sort of the premise of the trial. And we can get into that more. But many companies reported improvements in productivity. And we also heard this from employees We asked them about their current workability compared to their lifetime best, and we found that that improved from the outset of the trial until the end. So everybody feels more productive. Companies rated the trial about a 7.5 in terms of its impact on company productivity and performance, and about a, a point higher in terms of its overall. So They're figuring out how to be as or more productive in four days as they were in five. And then there's another big piece of this, which is because employees are so much better off, companies are losing fewer employees and they are better able to attract employees. So that affects the bottom line in ways that are increasingly important in today's economy because there are the the labor market is challenging for employers now in terms of their ability to fill positions and attract people. 
Mm. I mean, according also to the data, right, it was like over 90% of the companies that took part, they want to continue with this, right, as I understand. And it was only 4% of participants are definitely not continuing. So, I mean, that's, those figures are, are very stark. But what struck me there is, what are those 4%? Why don't they want to continue? I haven't talked directly to those companies. I think it's two, possibly three. But I'll tell you some of the more common reasons where the most common reason, and this is more anecdotal because there are not that many companies who don't continue, but what I've come to see is an ownership change. So a couple of the companies I know that either switched back or were planning to do this and then didn't go forward is because a new CEO came in or a new ownership. There's a company in one of our earlier trials that got taken over by a private equity firm, and they don't like this idea, so they just ended it. Let's just take a step back here for a second and take a quick look at how the five-day week actually came about. Because even if it's super entrenched nowadays, we didn't always work five days a week. In pre-industrial societies, when we were hunter-gatherers, people only worked as much as they needed to survive. According to anthropologists, this probably meant no more than 15 to 20 hours per week on average. There was a huge shift with the Industrial Revolution in the 18th century and the advent of machines. In the 19th century, workers were often toiling away over 70 hours, six days a week. But things changed again dramatically in the 20th century when Henry Ford became one of the first employers to adopt a five-day, 40-hour week at his car factories in 1926. And on the whole, this has been pretty much the gold standard in many countries around the globe ever since. Judith, I mean, this being an environment podcast, the one thing that is also often being used as an argument for this model is that it can benefit the climate and the environment. Can you perhaps explain, you know, some of the benefits that you see with a four-day week for the environment? Yes, this is such an important part of this four-day week movement. So it's a little difficult to measure these because, you know, as you and your listeners know, the carbon impacts of activities, products, daily life, companies are complicated and there are many both direct and indirect effects. So we set out to look at a couple of the biggest things, the energy use of the companies and the households and travel behavior. And the biggest thing that we see is commuting. So especially in the U.S., and uh, we had uh, two prior trials, uh, U.S. and Ireland, we saw a reduction in commuting 
and both amount of time spent commuting and people also less likely to commute by car. They also said they were more likely to do eco-friendly things like buying less and recycling and so forth. So giving people a little bit more time to be good environmental citizens, the four-day week does give many people typically the opportunity for three-day weekends. Are they just flying off somewhere, especially in countries like Ireland and the UK, where there are all those cheap European flights. And it looks like that is not happening. Energy price increases and seasonality have made it hard for us to figure out what exactly is happening with the household energy. But what's a bit cheering is that we did ask people how they're spending that off day, and it doesn't seem to be in carbon-intensive ways. They're doing a lot of housework and childcare there. They seem to be sticking close to home with hobbies and a little bit of personal grooming. So particularly as this becomes more and more popular and the fraction of days and people doing work from home declines, I think that the commuting impacts are going to swamp everything else. They're going to be quite beneficial. Mm-hmm. I mean, as you outlined there, it, it does to a certain degree depend on what we do with the extra time that we then have, just how sustainable it then is. But the other thing I'm sort of asking myself, if you also uh, found out that productivity is enhanced, I mean, I guess it also depends a bit on what the companies are producing, right? Because that would have to be also in the balance then regarding if the output is actually increased and it's actually products that are bad for the environment, then the four-day week might have a negative impact, I would guess. Yes, most of these are white collar firms, so they're probably their direct impacts on the environment are probably not too big. There we've got a couple of construction and manufacturing, but one of the things that happens is they also try to get more efficient, so that should help. But let me just raise the bigger issue here in terms of the environment and carbon in particular. I mean, I think that there's really not much research that's been done on things like impacts on water or biodiversity. It's really mostly about climate impacts. So I've studied this for a long time, and I've done quite a few different papers on the relationship between working hours, average working hours, and carbon emissions. And what we find is that countries with long working hours have high carbon emissions, and countries with short working hours have lower carbon emissions. And the big reason, there are a couple of things. One is the household changes that I've been talking about. So households that have less time stress tend to do things in slower, more sustainable ways. Okay, that makes sense. The bigger thing is what I've called the scale effect. So how do working hours affect the scale of the economy? And this gets to that point that you made, which is productivity increases? Do companies just increase what they're producing? And the answer is that in countries with short working hours, it means they're taking productivity growth over time in the form of working less rather than producing more. So that's the big reason that countries like Germany, the Netherlands, Denmark, some of the Nordics have tend to have low footprints is, or it's one big part of it, is that their trajectory of growth is not at its maximum. You know, they could work more hours and produce more. Instead, they choose to work fewer hours over time, so their production levels are less than they might be. 
And uh, this is really key. Now, the four-day week, as we're talking about it, is a little bit com- more complicated here, and I can explain why that is. But let me just stop and see if there's anything you wanted to come back on on that bigger point about scale. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that I sort of heard there was countries with long working hours tend to have a bigger footprint. Countries with shorter working hours have a smaller footprint. But then I'm sort of wondering, as I understand also looking at the stats, some of the countries that have the, the longest working week are countries like Egypt, whereas, you know, some countries with the, the shortest working week like Australia or often OECD countries, where I sort of wonder, you know, in terms of their output on a national level, they contribute far more to global warming, don't they, than these developing countries like Egypt, for instance? Yes. So although there's been, yeah, I should have mentioned that, the Global South the working hours data aren't very good, and the long working hours often that you see in those countries often tend to be for their formal sectors, which are a small fraction. So they're not so comparable. These findings are mainly within OECD countries. And Australia is a little bit of an outlier. I mean, there are some other things that matter, like their energy sources and distance. So yes, think about this as mostly OECD. There is some data for the whole world that also shows this, but I think it's a stronger relationship that you would see in the OECD. So we're looking at this more through the OECD lens and the scale there, you know, the top and the bottom there, you could say that those that have shorter hours emit less, those with longer hours emit more within the OECD. Yes. And it's, I mean, also the global South countries tend to have low carbon footprints on average, and but they have a lot of underemployment and disguised unemployment and so forth. So that if you took their overall working hours, you know, including everybody, not just the people whose hours are being measured in the surveys, you'd find shorter hours, I think. But let's, uh, I wanted to go to one other piece here, which is the way this particular work time reduction is a little bit different than what I've been talking about. So I've been talking about a sort of longer run trade-off between time and money. We can think of it that way. Do you use productivity growth over time to produce more or to work less? In the four-day week trials that we're doing here, People are not trading off money. They're getting the same amount of money. They're just shifting their productivity into a shorter period of time. So it's a different calculus than the long-run calculus. It's not leading to less growth. I mean, you raised the, the question of do these companies expand more? And I think it's possible that they do because they become more competitive, more profitable, et cetera. But that might be at the expense of other companies too. Juliet, I'm assuming now that you know people will only go for this if they get the same pay. But um, I mean, is that strictly speaking true? Or were there people you came across where there's a change of mindset where they actually say, you know what, I would even be willing to take a pay cut if I can go to four days? We didn't ask that question because none of the companies are reducing pay. It's a requirement for being in our trials that pay is maintained. We did ask the opposite question, which is, what is the four-day week worth to you in terms of how much 
you would require to go back to five days. So we're finding something like 97% of all the employees prefer the four-day week schedule. So the question is, thinking about your next job, what kind of a pay would you require to go back to a five-day schedule? And we find that it's actually quite significant what people would require. In the UK trial, it was something, 15% said there's no amount of money that would induce them to go back to a, a five-day schedule, which was kind of interesting. The next one was 8% would require 50% or more. 30% would require between 26 and 50%. I mean, that's a really big number. 40%, 10 to 25% more. So it's worth a lot to people to get these schedules. Mm. If we perhaps just have a look at what some critics are saying, because, I mean, some say that the concept would be impossible in certain sectors, you know, who have, I don't know, 24-7 operations, for instance. And some economists, they've argued that uh, fewer working hours would decrease the standard of living in general. How do you respond to that? Okay, so the first one is that for the 24-7s, or even if you're just a business that has to be open five days, nine to five, this model, it's a very flexible model. You can stay open for five days and uh, people have different days off. The, you know, the companies in our trials who needed to do that did it that way. Not everyone chooses one day off and the whole place shuts down for that day. So that's not a very compelling reason. We have a restaurant chain in our trials. We have a fish and chips in the UK trial. I mean, these are service organizations that have long working hours and they figured out there are ways they can do it. So that's the first thing. The second thing is it's not a reduction in the standard of living. It's really important to remember that people's pay stays the same. The question I think really is sort of what happens to wage growth over time. This one innovation shouldn't have an impact because it's keeping productivity the same in the economist model, and I am an economist, <laughs> in the economist model, the pay should be tied to productivity. Now, we know, in fact, it tends not to be these days, so workers are not getting their productivity growth in wages for the most part, but you've got a stable standard of living and you are increasing your productivity and that's how you're funding this. Over time, it may be the case that companies that offer four-day weeks might be able to pay less because workers value them so much. And that should be a good thing, according to economists, because it means that the market is offering a variety of schedules which are currently not very available. At the current moment, if you want to work short hours, you pay a big price in terms of salary. Or And in the U.S., you don't get benefits in many of these part-time jobs. So, but here's the place where the economist's point of view is more warranted, and that is for progressive reductions in working time over time. So if we continue on a trajectory of reducing work time and using productivity growth to do it, it's true that standards of living in monetary terms will not go up as much. But in value terms, they may go up more in terms of people's quality of life and what matters to them. We can see from our findings, as well as a lot of other surveys, that free time matters a lot to people. This all sounds like a fantastic 
concept. It almost sounds very tempting. And I'm sort of sitting here thinking, why aren't we doing this on a grand scale yet? Why isn't this the new normal yet? What needs to change, Judith? Well, to some extent, it's it's a mindset for companies. And I think the example of work from home is analogous. There was all the technological capacity to work from home before the pandemic, and yet almost no employers allowed it. It was just a few percentage of people. The pandemic, suddenly, it you know, everybody was doing it, and it, it worked rather well. I'm not going to say perfect, but then work from work is also not perfect. So it was a mindset. And what's interesting to me is the way the pandemic also changed the mindset about work time. And the willingness of employers to innovate on something that they already knew they should have been doing, which is sort of paying for performance rather than just face time. So you see this coming soon? In I mean, is this something that's going to be global or is this going to be limited again to OECD countries? Well, it's starting in OECD countries. I do see it growing. Momentum is increasing. We're long overdue. I mean, it's basically 100 years of the five-day-week schedule with tremendous productivity growth since then and a lot more coming down the road. So it seems a bit like a no-brainer. Many thanks to Juliet Shaw, professor and economist in the Boston College Sociology Department. So, is it high time that the four-day work week becomes the new normal? I'd certainly be happy to make the switch, but maybe you feel different about it. Please do let us know what you think. Send us an email to onthegreenfence at dw.com. Many thanks to my colleague Natalie Muller and my sound engineer Thomas Schmidt. And a big thank you to all our listeners for sharing, rating and downloading On The Green Fence. My name is Neil King. Take it easy and take care.